that's good. How long have we doing that slow clap? Like 12 years? That's awesome. Tradition, guys. So I was just thinking about this. The first spring break that I went on as a college student was 20 years ago. Man, like you guys weren't even being thought of yet. <laughs> Some of your parents are like, you want kids? No. And like nine months later, they're like, oops. <laughs> anyway. Um, man, who's going to spring break? Can I just, this is awesome. Okay, I just, real quick. Spring break was the, everything, there's always a moment, right? That when you look back on your life, there's these moments, right? That you can say like, that was a pivotal moment in my life. Spring break freshman year was a pivotal moment in my life. That was probably when I decided, you know, I'm gonna get serious about this God thing. And uh, it, was a, it was just, a, it was a key time. I think what's great about spring break is, as much as we love fall retreat, guys, spring break is like fall retreat on steroids because you just get a chance to get away. You get away, you get to be with people that can encourage you and help you and meet you where you are. And the best thing about it is God meets you where you are. Uh, my best friend, um, most of my best friends, uh, but one of my best friends named Todd Newton, uh, he, I, I met him that week. And he became my roommate for the next three years. And uh, I was the best man at his wedding. He was the best man at my wedding. So spring breaks can really change a lot. Plus, guys, odds are, if you meet a female at spring break, the chances go up that you can marry her. So I'm just, <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there for the guys. Girls, hopefully that doesn't deter you from signing up. Um, but spring break, guys, really, it, is, uh, it really is life-changing. Um, I know all the people going. Uh, I love USC. I know that they're just great. You guys are going to love it. So if you're, if you're on the fence about going to spring break, just go. And if it's about money, don't make it about money, okay? Because there's ways, all right? I'm just going to say that. All right. Anyway, I am excited to get to be with you guys tonight. Normally, I'm, I'm starting to get in bed at this point. Um, <laughs> But I'm excited to, to get to be here with you guys to really continue this, this series that, we, that you guys are calling this Community of Victory, where we're, we're focusing on these different letters that you find in the book of Revelation. And now, Revelation is, is often a book that, like, most of us never even go to unless you just, like, kind of want, like, comic world stuff in the Bible. Um, but it's, it's such an encouraging book. It's, it's, in fact, it's one of the most encouraging books in all the scriptures because it tells us of what's yet to come. And these, these letters that we look at, these are real places that existed, you know, a couple, you know, thousands of years ago. Now, last week you looked at the church of Sardis and, you know, the charge that it was given to resurrect its faith. Now, tonight I want to talk about and speak to a letter that's written to the church in Philadelphia. Now, I'm not talking about Pennsylvania, but rather the church of Philadelphia, which is located about 28 miles south south east, you could say, of where Sardis was. Now, the way that this, this, these letters worked, it wasn't like the letter was sent to Sardis and another letter was sent to Philadelphia and another one was sent to Laodicea and, and, and other places like this. These are what we call like circular letters, meaning like John wrote one letter and then he sent it to the first church in Ephesus and then they would read it and then they move it on to the next church of, I, I think, Pyrus, I forget the second church is, but basically these are circular letters. So here's the thing, every church heard about every other church. So it was a pretty big call. Well, what we're gonna look at tonight is the church in Philadelphia. Um, now, Philadelphia is, is a pretty strategic city in the area. Uh, it was on the main trade route that basically went from Rome to the far east. Essentially, it was kind of like the gateway to the east. 
So every spice route, every route basically where Rome would get spices from the Far East and bring them, they would go through the town of Philadelphia. Now this town was also called Little Athens uh, because of the many temples in a city. Philadelphia was very accepting like Athens was of different gods, different religious systems. There were altars to everything. There were many gods and, and, and figures to every god imaginable. So this is the town that this small church was trying to thrive in. Um, the church was certainly located in a, in a very strategic opportunity for God to work through. Um, so I wanna walk through this letter tonight and pull out some things from it um, to encourage you. Now, this, what's unique about this letter is it obviously very much you know, meant something to them, but it very much means something to us today. And this is what's great about the Bible. I mean, the Bible encourages people in every era and generation that it is written. It, it, it encouraged people 2,000 years ago. It encourages us today. And it's gonna encourage people on into the day that we join Christ at the Great Reunion. So I'm excited to get to share with you guys from tonight, uh, from our friends in Philadelphia. I wanna pray for our time and then we're gonna dive in. God, we are so grateful for the promises of scripture, for the words that you have given us. Lord, this is life. Lord, your, your words give us purpose and fulfillment. God, your words speak to us where we are. They, they meet us where we are, and you, and you don't leave us there, but your word, it transports us to a better place to help us become who you want us to be. And I just pray right now, no matter where we are, what, no matter what kind of Tuesday we had, whether it was a terrible Tuesday, a great Tuesday, a mediocre Tuesday, God, I pray right now for the next 20, 25 minutes that this would be an amazing Tuesday as we come to hear from you and to be encouraged by you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so I'm gonna start off first. Are there any like storm survivors out here? Like anyone that's ever gone through like a pretty wicked storm? Like not this mamsy, pamsy rain stuff you guys get here in like the Northwest California, but like real storms, tornadoes, hurricanes, you know, big stuff like that. Okay, well, I grew up in Oklahoma known as Tornado Alley, and there's a reason we call it that. It's because geographically, it's where all the tornadoes go through. I lived about 10 miles from the number one hit place in all the country. It was also the place where they had like the nicest movie theater and they rebuilt it like every couple years. So that didn't make much sense. But uh, anyway, this one time, so my wife Amy and I, we were engaged and um, we were at a retreat center with a, like other challenge staff people. I was on staff at the University of Oklahoma's challenge, Christian challenge, uh, before Amy and I came out here to help start challenge here. Uh, so we were at a retreat center and we uh, had a dinner with relatives later that evening. So we were about to leave the retreat center and throughout the day, we could tell the weather was getting rough. And I mean, you live in Oklahoma long enough, you can kind of be like, this is about to get really bad. So anyway, um, we were like, hey, you know, like we're probably gonna have to hit the storm shelter, um, but we're gonna try to get out of here before the storm hits. And as Amy and I were leaving the retreat center, the tornado dropped in right behind us, picked up trees and dropped them on the cars that were in the parking lot that we just left. So close, close call. So anyway, we got out of there. And we're driving up I-35 towards Oklahoma City, and then we we're gonna go meet uh, some of Amy's relatives for dinner. And basically an F5 dropped on I-35 about a half a mile in front of us. 
Now, there's not a lot you can do when you're basically stuck right in front of a tornado. You can't really get out of there. You're kind of stuck on the freeway. I tried to slow down and turn around, but essentially an F3 tornado dropped a mile behind us. So now here we are in our car. I've got an F5 tornado. And an F5 means it's at least a mile wide on the base. I mean, this thing is ginormous. Okay, this, it, it wipes out. Like when an F5 tornado comes through town, it basically, it just, it just trenches the landscape. Like nothing survives. And that's what was in front of us. An F3 tornado, not as wide, it was about a half mile wide, uh, still pretty, pretty dangerous tornado. So here we are in the middle of it, and Amy's like, what do we do? I mean, she didn't grow up in Oklahoma. I said, you just got to ride this thing out. I mean, you can't stop, you can't, you can't pull over, you don't want to get out of the car. If you get out of the car and get into a ditch, usually the suction of the tornadoes will just whip you right out. So you don't want to get out of the car. You, you just want to stay in the car and basically try to do your best to just navigate between the two. Now, uh, a lot of times people think like it's rain and, and hail and all that's like that's the, the wind, like that's the really dangerous part of the tornado. The dangerous part of the tornado is the dirt because what happens is all the dirt gets swirled into the air. You can't see more than a few feet in front of you. So here we are. I've got about four or five feet of visibility. I've got a huge tornado in front of me. I've got a huge tornado behind me. And as we're trying to navigate, we're trying not to hit cars, we see a semi that's like flipped over on the side of the road because the wind basically hit it and knocked it off the road. And basically, we just had to ride this thing out until eventually we were able to get an, an exit and, and at least get away from the tornadoes. The tornadoes were moving east. We were able to at least go west. Uh, but that was a pretty scary time, a pretty scary moment. Um, and that's not my first time with tornadoes. I've, I've, I've lived with tornadoes my entire life. But the thing is, is with serious storms, Sometimes you just have to hang in there. You just have to ride them out. And um, that's really the message that Jesus gives the church in Philadelphia. He basically says to them, guys, hang in there. Revelation chapter three, starting in verse seven, this is the letter that John writes to this church through the, you know, Christ inspiring him. And he says this, Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Now, here's just a side note. Some of you might be like, who's this angel, and why are they always writing letters to him? Angels often were messengers. Anytime you see angels in the Bible, they are messengers. They're delivering a messenger, and that word could also just mean a messenger. So most likely, uh, that referred to just the person that John sent, meaning they, they were the carrier of the letter. Uh, anyway, it goes on to say, this is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. And I know all the things you do. I have opened a door for you for, so that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word, and you did not deny me. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones that I love. Now, because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. And all who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of uh, the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. And then a very familiar ending to each of these letters. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Now, if there was ever a church that would 
receive the silver star, the purple heart, the medal of honor, the church at Philadelphia would be that church. Though this local church was small in size, they were completely sold out for Jesus. They were a force to be reckoned with. They saw persecution and hardship. They saw every tribulation. They saw every injustice, not as a punishment, but as a reward for the opportunity to share the gospel. See, what we learned from this church in Philadelphia is that suffering always precedes the gospel. Suffering always precedes the gospel. Hardship is the soil that the seed of the gospel is planted in, and tribulation is the cultivation upon which the gospel grows, spreads, and multiplies. Suffering always precedes the gospel. So how do you hang in there? How do you endure despite weakness? How do you see every hardship in your life, every test, every tribulation, every persecution as an opportunity and not as an obstacle. That's what we're gonna look at tonight. To patiently endure, you need perseverance. I wanna share with us a few applications from our friends in Philadelphia. And the first thing that we see is that perseverance is rewarded with power. Perseverance is rewarded with power. The first thing that we we read in verse seven says, this is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. See, Jesus Christ presents himself to the church at Philadelphia as the one who is holy. Jesus is reminding them that I am God. See, Jesus Christ is holy in his character, his words, his actions, his purposes. And as the Holy One, he is uniquely set apart from everything else and nothing compares to him. He is the one and only Holy God. But he is also the one who is true. What that means is that he is, he is genuine. He's original. He, there's, there's, there's not a copy of him. He's the authentic God. He's not manufactured. You have to remember in Philadelphia, they called it little Athens for a reason. There were many gods everywhere. There are copies of gods everywhere. And what he's trying to say is, I am the true God. There is no copy of me. See, not only is he holy and true, but he has the authority to open and close doors. Now, in the New Testament, the phrase open door, whenever there's an open door, that always speaks to the opportunity to have ministry. Whenever you see the phrase, there was an open door, it's speaking of the opportunity for ministry. In Acts 14, 27, Paul writes, he says, and when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. In Colossians 4, verses three and four, Paul writes, don't forget to pray for us that God will open doors for telling the mystery of Christ. Even while I'm locked up in this jail, pray that every time I open my mouth, I'll be able to make Christ plain as day to them. See, Christ opens the doors for ministry. Christ opens the door so that the gospel can advance. And what God opens, no one can close. Christ is the Lord of the harvest. He is the head of the church. And it is he who determines where and when his people will serve. He has given the church at Philadelphia a great ministry opportunity here. 
And when Jesus Christ gives an open door, he sees to it that you are able to walk through it. Christ does not give you a door and then not the ability to walk through it. He gives you the door, but then he gives you the ability to walk through it. Unbelief sees the obstacles. Faith sees the opportunities. I want to challenge you right now. In your life right now, are you seeing obstacles or are you seeing opportunity? Are you seeing relationships as obstacles or are you seeing relationships as opportunity where Christ can be known in the lives of others? Are you seeing that trial, that test, whatever hardship is in your life, do you see that as, a, that as an obstacle in your life? Or do you see that as an opportunity where God can prove to you that he is holy, that he is true? My life has not been easy, guys. I grew up poverty, uh, in poverty. I grew up under the poverty line in Oklahoma. Um, my mother and I basically lived rent-free for a while. Um, I uh, lost my father when I was six months old. Um, my wife has had cancer. I've almost lost uh, my youngest daughter um, when she was two weeks old. So I know a thing about hardship. And what I've had to realize is, is those were not obstacles to my faith. Those were opportunities for my faith. And since the Lord holds the keys, he is in control of the outcome. Let that remind you who wins in the end. Since he holds the keys, he controls the outcome. We do not have to fear. Nobody can close doors as long as he keeps them open. Perseverance is rewarded with God's power, and he holds the keys, and he opens the doors. A second way we see perseverance being rewarded is perseverance is rewarded with opportunity. Perseverance not only is rewarded with power, but it is rewarded with opportunity. The church in Philadelphia is rewarded with the opportunity to be a witness for the gospel. Christ opened the doors, but it is us who must walk through them. Little strength and great opportunity often go hand in hand. Going back to our, our letter to the uh, to. Philadelphia says in verse eight, I know all the things you do and I have opened a door for you so that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. See, Jesus says two things about this church. He says, you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. The first holds fast to the words of Jesus. The second means that you're not ashamed of the first. You're not embarrassed by the words of Christ. You're not ashamed of your faith. The church at Philippi, uh, or sorry, at Philadelphia, they, they, they had little strength. And it's well assumed what that means is that they, 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 they weren't very big. They were, they were a rather small church in comparison to the culture around them. They didn't have much money and they did not have much influence. But what they had was great faith. See, often today we look at our spiritual life and, and we think that I don't have it all together. I'm a mess. I don't have much to offer God. I'm not very influential. People don't listen to me. See, but what, but what we see God honoring, what we see God praising in the scriptures is not, not strength, it's not influence. What we see God honoring is faith. See, God honors faith. God looks for faith and God rewards faith. Now, in Acts chapter 14, the apostle Paul, he's, he's traveling back to many of these churches that he had started in, in Asia Minor, which is the, the area that we are right now, uh, Philadelphia, you know, the churches. Um, 
And he encourages them in verse 22 of chapter 14. He says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. What does he mean by that? Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. I wanna break it down really quickly for you. Through many tribulations, that word tribulation there, that's the Greek, in the Greek, that's the word thelispis, and, and it's described as confining, squeezing pressure. This word is often used to describe distress, afflictions, material shortages, Christian suffering. The expectation here is, is if, if we choose the way of Christ, life will be made uncomfortable. It's through pressure that we are formed into the image of Christ. See, the life of Christ is not a life of emotional worship highs and passionate feelings. It's a life where the world is going to push back against us because we are defying it. We are waging war against the world around us and it is waging war back. Through many tribulations, we must. That word must in the Greek, it refers to the, the must of necessity. So what that means, it's, it's, it's indication that the tribulation is an essential component to following Jesus. Through tribulation, we must. And I think there's two reasons why we, we must endure. First, we are called to follow a man who he himself was called to suffer. It is for the name of Jesus that we suffer. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You are not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I will show you how first reason that we must endure is because we follow someone who was called to suffer. Second reason is God has chosen the way of tribulation for our spiritual growth. Most Christians see adversity as an interruption to their life. However, adversity is normal for the Christian. It signals that the nearness of God's kingdom is at hand. In Romans 5, verses three through five, it says not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. Character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There is only one way to hope. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Through many tribulations, we must enter. We must enter. The world sees suffering as a dead end, as something to be avoided, as something to delay as long as possible. To the Christian, though, it is a gateway into personal growth, into the very life of the kingdom. Christianity views suffering and glory as belonging together. You cannot find glory without finding suffering. You cannot find suffering without glory being the reward. 1 Peter 5.10, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace. John writes in the beginning of Revelations in chapter one, verse nine, he says, I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which God, Jesus, calls us. I, your brother, your partner in suffering. Through suffering, we must enter. Glory and suffering are together. You cannot embrace glory if you're not willing to endure suffering. Jesus calls us to take up your cross and follow me. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. 
See, the kingdom of God is not this far off land. It's not, it's not this mystical place that we're waiting to, 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 to receive at the end of our life. The kingdom of God is the reign of God through Christ Jesus in the lives of his followers, both here now and on the other side of heaven. See, we are the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations, we must enter. Romans 14, 17 says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Perseverance is rewarded with opportunity. But that opportunity often comes at the cost of suffering. Unbelief sees obstacles. Faith sees opportunities. God honors faith. God rewards faith for those who walk through the doors that he opens. Lastly, we, we see that perseverance is rewarded with promised victory. Perseverance is rewarded with promised victory. Now, it's really interesting. When you, when you study church history, right, the, the golden age of church growth begins in about AD 64. Now, at the time, the Roman emperor was a man named Nero Claudius Caesar Augustus Germanicus, simply known as Nero, right? Can we shorten that? How about Nero? Nero, you're dead. It doesn't matter. Nero um, became infamous for his excessive parties, extravagancies, and personal debaucheries across his empire. He was also certified crazy. Um, He wanted to rename Rome after himself. He believed that it was him He believed that he could tap into the power of gods. Uh, In AD 64, Rome mysteriously burned while he was emperor, and the eagerness at which he rebuilt led many to believe that he was responsible for the fire. So to get the pressure off of himself, Nero shifts the blame to the Christians, which then begins the great Roman persecutions, which leads many Christians to being slaughtered as gladiators and for sport in the Roman Colosseum as well as many being displaced throughout the empire. This is the beginning of the great Christian persecution in the first century. Now that persecution lasts until 313 AD when the the uh, the emperor Constantine I issues what is known as the Edict of Milan, which is what basically grants Christianity and, and many other religions at that time legal status. Now here's what's interesting. When you study church growth, the church grew 300% every 10 years amidst that greatest persecution between AD 64 and AD 313. 300% every 10 years. It was only after Christianity was legalized that that rate of growth dropped off. Persecution has never stopped the church. In fact, you could say that persecution is the catalyst for the church to grow. See, in persecution, there is the promised victory of Christ. Perseverance is rewarded with promised victory. Going back to our church in Philadelphia, 
Jesus says to them in, in, in Revelations 3, verse 12. It says, all who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God. Now, that seems kind of weird that they will become pillars in the temple of my God. And what, you're kind of wondering, you know, what does that mean for them? Now, remember, these are very personal letters. Philadelphia, the location of it was on a major fault line. And in AD 37, an earthquake hit Philadelphia, causing pretty much the entire town to be destroyed, causing basically the entire population to have to flee to the countryside for protection. See, what Jesus is saying to them is that you will be pillars in the temple of my God. You will never have to leave it. What he's saying is, is you will be the pillars of, of my temple in heaven. And unlike the pillars that fell in the earthquake, you, you will never fall and you will never have to leave. Your home will be permanent. Your promised victory is awaiting you. See, God will honor them with an everlasting place reserved in heaven. Their names will forever be on the registry of heaven's citizenship. And when all that persecution, when all that persecution can do is threaten followers of Christ with death, we look at death as the entry to heaven. We look at death saying, if that is all you can throw at us, then all you are doing is ushering me into the presence of my God. You see, persecution is rewarded. Perseverance is rewarded with promised victory. In a very real sense, the, the church today, you and I, all of us that profess knowing and following Christ, we are like the Philadelphia church. For God has set before us many open doors of opportunities to proclaim his name. And if he opens the doors, we must be willing to walk through them. If he shuts the doors, we must be willing to wait. Above all, we must be faithful to him. We must see opportunities and not obstacles. And I believe that if the church of Philadelphia were to speak to us today, I think if, if they were to, to call out from the past and to challenge us, I think they would mirror what Nick Ripkin in his book, The Insanity of God, says. I believe they would say to us, do not give up in freedom what others will not in persecution. Do not, you in Chico, California, students at Chico State, do not give up in freedom what our brothers and sisters all over the world will not give up in persecution. My heart has been breaking the last several days, the last week as the, as the you know, the Ukraine-Russia situation continues and my heart breaks for the, the believers. And I've been praying for them. I've been praying for the situation. Sometimes the news can be really overwhelming. I like to look at the news as just like a prayer list, right? Okay, what can I pray for today? All right, I'm gonna go for that. So I've been praying for the church and I keep coming back. And I believe the believers are saying to us in America, do not give up in freedom, but we are not willing to give up in persecution. We must persevere in this life. We must endure for the name of Christ for a much greater and promised life is promised to give us. Perseverance is rewarded with power. Perseverance is rewarded with opportunity and perseverance is rewarded with promised victory. So as we wrap up, whose power are you relying on right now? Are you relying on your bank account? Are you relying on your grades? Are you relying on that guy or that girl, right? Whose power are you relying on? What open doors, what opportunities can you walk through to be messengers of the gospel? 
what relationships are in your life right now, what people are in your life right now where you think, is that an open door? God, could you be putting an open door right here? And do you have the, the courage to walk through that door? to be a messenger of the gospel. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. Hold tight to the promised victory that is yours in Christ. Guys, we have a great life coming. Let's, let's do all that we can right now to usher it in. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this church. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the example that they have given us. Lord, the praise that Christ gave them Lord, may we be like the church in Philadelphia. May we have the courage to step up in faith, to not deny you, Lord, to live for you, to, to, to take every opportunity that you give us, Lord, not as an obstacle, but as an opportunity to advance the gospel. And Father, I pray in this room tonight that lives would be changed through the conviction that we have tonight to be used by you to advance the gospel. And Father, I pray right now, if there's anyone in this room right now and they're, and they're thinking right now and you're, you're speaking to them and you're saying, you do not know me yet. And Father, I pray tonight would be the night that that changes. I pray tonight would be the night that you and them get acquainted God, I pray for them right now in this room that they would open up their heart to you and that they would receive you as Lord and as Savior, that they would say, I want that promised victory. I claim that promised victory. I choose to follow you. Father, thank you for this time tonight. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.